Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, reaching the world by streaming live at www.wceb1450.com. Now, forgive me, Radio Islam family. Um, I did say that I was going to stop doing all those W's, but uh, old habits die hard. But if you are new to the Radio Slime family, we welcome you. Uh, we are a call-in talk radio program, and we broadcast every day, this time from the wonderful city of Chicago, from 6 to 7 p.m. Central. And uh, remember, you can keep up with us by following and liking our uh, social media pages, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, where you will find us at Radio Slime USA. And last but not least, make sure that you are following the podcast. So if you're on iTunes or TuneIn or Google Play, uh, who else? SoundCloud. Wherever you're at, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. And remember, folks, uh, sharing is caring. So if you like it, share it, right? Send that link out to somebody. They will appreciate it. Now, if I do seem a little bit hyper, because I, I feel a little hyper myself right now before we get into the show, it's because I have been drinking Americanos, uh, and it's an espresso-type uh, drink, and, uh, and it's delicious. So I just wanted to, wanted to share that with you. Um, yes, these are delicious and, 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 and quite stimulating. Uh, so that, that being said, uh, <laughs> we're going to get into our program uh, tonight. Hope everybody is doing well. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking with Suzanne Ahra Sahlou. Uh, she is the president and executive director of the Syrian Community Network. And uh, we are pleased to have her. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you for having me. Uh, it is a pleasure. It is a pleasure. Um, you sound a lot more even keel than I do. I, so. I haven't had my coffee yet, so <laughs> I'd, I'd like to drink whatever you're drinking. Yes, this Americano. Um, I'm going to have to ask for some advertising dollars uh, if I say it again. Yes. So, um, so uh, tell the Radio Salaam family a bit about the uh, Syrian Community Network? Well, we started the Syrian Community Network in 2015. Um, uh, let me backtrack a little bit uh, with everything that was happening in, in Syria with the, when the crisis started and um, uh, in 2011 with many young people taking to the streets um, uh, during the Arab Spring. Uh, that was such a hopeful time in, uh, in uh, you know, January of 2011, February 2011, and then uh, March of 2011 when um, Syrians rose up and asked for reforms and for change. And unfortunately, the regime responded very brudely by shooting at people and car incarcerating people, torturing people, and uh, and we have what we see now is a is a very complicated and huge mess uh, that's happening in Syria. Um, in 2013, the State Department um, here in the U.S. Uh, announced that they will be uh, resettling Syrian refugees uh, to the United States because there didn't look like there was an end in sight for the conflict. And they decided that resettlement could be a hope uh, and a lifeline for many families who have escaped Syria uh, from, um, you know, uh, different cities, uh, from Homs, from Aleppo, from um, uh, Daraa into Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, Egypt. Uh, currently, we have over 6 million 
million Syrian refugees who are registered with the High Commissioner for uh, for Refugees, the UNHCR. Six million, and then you have another three million internally displaced. So this is a crisis, uh, you know, a huge uh, a crisis that we haven't seen since World War II. Um, and so, um, so at that time, the, when the State Department announced that, I heard that, and I we knew that this was a call, a time for a call for action. And so I started to talking to my community here in Chicago about what it takes to uh, be, a, you know, uh, for refugees to resettle in the U.S. What does it take? What is what should be the community response? How do people come to the United States as refugees? What is the process that people go through? Uh, because this is something that we didn't know. And um, I started even traveling the country and educating different Syrian American uh, groups um, in San Diego and Phoenix. I remember going to um, Washington, D.C. a few times and attending different um, uh, conferences and things like that. And then even speaking on a web webinar with the Refugee Council USA on uh, Syrian culture. And, and, and we saw that at that time, a lot of the resettlement agencies were preparing uh, for the income of Syrian refugees and they started reaching out and asking uh, what can we do how can we understand the cultural nuances of um, helping Syrian refugees and so from that you know all of that momentum and all of that this movement um, I, I gathered a group of uh, interested Chicagoans who wanted to help and um, I pitched the idea of course many people told me oh, you're crazy and why are you doing this and we don't need another uh, NGO another nonprofit we have so many nonprofits mm -hmm. I said yes but we we don't have a nonprofit that's specifically for resettling refugees here in Chicago at, at the domestic level. We have a lot of uh, nonprofits that are working at the inter international level helping the, the refugees, but we don't have anything here locally that's part of our community. And so, um, so I, I, the people who agreed became my board members, and in 2015 we officially launched uh, the Syrian Community Network. Awesome. So th there are a lot of moving parts yes. um, to this, uh, yes. obviously. Um, so I imagine, well, I shouldn't say I imagine, I know this, but there's a sizable uh, Syrian um, American community in Chicago. Yes. Um, so we, we, you think of the Syrian diaspora as three in, in three waves. Mm -hmm. The first wave was in the uh, late 19th and early th uh, 20th century of um, when Syrians uh, started migrating from uh, Syria. Greater, you know, Greater Syria included Syria, Lebanon, parts of Jordan, and then you had uh, many um, people at that time leaving uh, this uh, this region and coming to the United States and coming going to South America because this was the time when the Ottoman Empire was fall, was breaking apart, and it right. was during World War One, and you see you saw a mass exodus of, of Syrians um, uh, leaving and re resettling in the United States, in New York, Boston, Los Angeles, Texas, Detroit, and then Argentina and, and Brazil and, and many so South American countries. And then the second wave of uh, Syrians migrating um, was in the 1960s when the United States opened its doors to the you know to immigration policy was to welcome everyone, and and that's the time when my dad. Um, he came in 1961 to study engineering here in Chicago, and um, he studied, He became a civil engineer, and he met my mother here in Chicago. My mother's Canadian. My my mom is not uh, Syrian, and um, and so they lived here. And many of my dad's peers and many of the uncles, we, let's just say, we'll call them uncles, yeah. our dear uncles who built our community, came at this time. Whether they're Syrian, whether they're Palestinian, whether they're from India or from Pakistan or from you know so many countries in the world that came here in the 19. 
1960s to, to get their PhDs, to do re residency programs, to study law, and end up staying here and building our, our amazing community. Um, so that's the second phase. And then the third wave now is the um, asylee and um, refugee wave that's coming in from Syria. Asi there were many people upon the start of the, the conflict started coming here on visas and, and applying for asylum uh, that they could not go back because they feared uh, for their lives. And then now the refugees are coming in. So think of Syrian American migration to the United States in three waves. Mm. Now, you mentioned there's a total of about 9 million people that mm -hmm. are um, affected. Yes. Um, do you, can, well, can you answer or give, give me an idea as to why this feels like it is not being understood as the humanitarian crisis that it is? Yeah, for some reason, um, uh, Syria did not get the attention that it needed. I think we, we had, uh, in the United States, we were, um, you know, um, had fatigue, war fatigue from the Iraqi war. Right. Um, and um, and people just didn't want to deal with another conflict in the Middle East. You know, this was, uh, this is what I heard from many peers um, saying, oh, what's going on in the Middle East? People who didn't understand. And, and people didn't understand what, what was really happening in Syria, that this started as a peaceful movement by many young people. Just like we see now young people taking to the streets because for gun control and for right. but imagine a government that's shooting at them and this is what happened in Syria many young people went out and then the gov government shot at them and and you know tried to suppress the, this movement and um, and so we don't understand like what happened that what that what was happening in Syria is not going to stay in Syria it you know the refugee crisis affected you know all of us um, you know you we, we saw refugees leaving into Europe and and people when people saw that refugees were migrating and going on boats and, and walking across Europe, people got scared. And this, this led to the anti-refugee, anti-immigrant um, sentiment that we saw in Europe, that which led to Brexit, which led to electing President Trump. And um, I hate to say that, you know, but uh, people didn't understand what was going on in Syria, that this was something, not just a conflict, not just a small, um, you know, it was not a civil war. This was something that affected the whole region and it really affected the whole world um, due to the complexities of, uh, the, of the situation. And then you have Russia and Iran and Hezbollah and, and all these, um, um, you know, factions that are fighting and it became a, a proxy war and Saudi Arabia is involved and, and right. the Gulf states are involved. So it really became a proxy war um, within Syria and the people who paid the price are the Syrian civilians, the women, the children, the men, the, the grandparents who, you know, now are dispersed uh, and, you know, and, you know, fleeing for their lives. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, and I think a, a clear indictment for any nation who promotes, I'm using air quotes, right, promotes democracy, uh, but is not willing to support uh, democracy when it is when yes. it is at that its budding stages. Yes, uh, and and that's what we witnessed. You know, when we had this this uprising, this spring of yeah. of activity of young people that were you know calling for for, mm -hmm. for change and uh, more representation. Uh, and then the reprisal uh, was not met with much, yes. much, much support. Yeah. No support, basically. Yes. Um, you know, when the when the revolution started, we had President Obama saying, you know, um, Assad lost his legitimacy. And then you had the president of Turkey also saying, oh, we will not let the massacres that happened in the 1980s uh, happen again. But those words were just empty words and did not have any action that followed uh, to support the aspirations of these young people who were who just wanted reforms in the beginning. They didn't ask for a regime change. They just wanted reforms. Right. 
sure. um, and then we saw that over and over um, President Obama kept making these empty um, rhetoric and, and you know lofty speeches that really led to nowhere and in fact pushed people out more and more to you know they thought okay now uh, uh, America will be, be coming to help us and then in August of 20, 21st of 2013 we saw um, the massacre the, the gas attack in Ghouta um, yeah. in the suburb of Damascus where 1400 people um, you know lost their lives due to this gas attack and before that there were small uh, smaller attacks that were happening uh, but they were very small in number and so people didn't really pay attention um, but uh, they were documented and there's over 700 gas attacks that have happened in Syria um, since 2011 but the one in, that happened in August of 2013 where 1400 people died uh, this was when President Obama was saying well if the re Syrian regime uses chemical, chemical warfare then we will intervene well they did and we had 1400 people that thought lost their lives and we did not intervene we blinked you know after we we said all this uh, big rhetoric and macho things and and then um you know for some whatever reason we decided not to act and I think at that stage, this was a turning point. Now the Assad regime knew that this was a green light to do anything that they wanted and that they had the support of Russia and Iran and Hezbollah and can go and, and you know kill with impunity and no one's gonna stop them. So organizations um, such, as, such as yours, the, the uh, Syrian Community Network, um, this is an organization that puts the people uh, first. Yes. Um, and so what are some of the what are some of the uh, services that you all have been able to provide? Uh, and I have to make make this other quick quick mention. So the history of, of globally of mm -hmm. immigration is one that is often precipitated by uh, war, famine, yes. um, destabilizing uh, 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 factors mm -hmm. that cause people to look for safety and opportunity in other in other places. Uh, so as this Syrian um, diaspora continues to, uh, I guess, expand and mm -hmm. evolve. Uh, and we, and you all are positioned to to receive mm -hmm. uh, those who are able to make it here. Now, after I've said all that, yeah. what, what what are some of the um, the uh, the services that that you all have been able to to provide? So, Alhamdulillah, with the help of the community, we we would not be anywhere without our community, the Arab and Muslim and um, Indian and Pakistani communities in the Chicagoland area and across the United States is one of the most generous communities. Uh, I have known, um, and uh, you know the fact that we have all these mosques and schools and that are built up by community money, by our dear uncles who started, you know, schools like Universal School. Dr. Abdurrahman, I mean, I hope he's listening. Uh, shout out to him uh, for someone who sacrificed their whole life and to start these organizations. This is amazing, um, and so now I'm trying to build on what they've started. You know, certainly we can never do what they have done, uh, but now we're going into the sphere of social services because we need that in our community. Right. And um, um, due to the generosity of the community, we were able to now finally have a secure an office in the north side of Chicago. Okay. And the reason why our office is in the north side is because many of the resettlement agencies that bring the refugees are in the north side, so they place them near the, the housing near them. And so that's why we opened our office in Edgewater. We're very close to Loyola University. Um, and so we right now in our office, we're, we have a mentorship program where people can connect with families. We, we're, we're, it's kind of like the Islamic concept of Mu'a. 
Makkah when the Prophet وسلم, paired um, you know an Ansari family with a Muhajirin family together so they can help them so kind of the same thing so we, you know we as Chicagoans are the Ansar and the refugees who are coming are Muhajirin and we have to help them as much as we can so kind of taking that idea and, and impl- you know implementing it here in Chicago in a, in a cool work, word called mentorship yes. <laughs> um, so that's one program that we have we have uh, another program called case management case management is where we handle the the paperwork of the refugees for their food stamps for applying for their state benefits to help them with housing to help them with their insurance their medical insurance um, uh, to help with school advocacy to help with uh, jobs job placement job training all those types of things are all encompassed in our case management program and we are we have three case managers and we're looking to hire a fourth one now uh, inshallah um, because you know we have about 180 families and we're just overwhelmed and swamped with work and you know because alhamdulillah you know when we when we have the you know they're coming into our to do the processing their paperwork it takes a long time and then we also want to help them in jobs because uh, you know we want to teach them how to fish not just to give them fish you know and so that's the second program that we have and then now we started our ESL program English as second language program we're really proud of this. So, with our partnership with Truman College, so Truman College chose, uh, you know, with, um, chose us to become a site uh, where they can place students with us. So, but they've given priority to the Syrian refugees who are there, or any of the refugee families who want to sign up. So, right now, our ESL classes, especially in the mornings, are the the, the room is busting. So, it, it's, it's such a great feeling, you know. Um, so, we have students, not only Syrian refugees, we have Iraqi, we have a Mongolian student, and we have a Nigerian. Student student and that's really it makes really warms my heart to see them coming and walking into our office it means that you know we've you know, we're, we are fulfilling our Islamic uh, duty and obligation um, to helping everyone. Not, you know, yes, our name is Syrian Community Network. Many people have asked us, well, why is it? Because we're dealing with a specific issue at this moment, because this is the time when Syrian refugees, it's the dire crisis at the moment. Um, uh, but we also, there's no reason why we can't help others. You know, uh, Syria has always been a country that receives refugees from every conflict. And now we're, it's our way to give back to other people of other conflicts. Um, so we're proud of that. So, and then we're, we started an after-school program. Um, uh, so the, the after-school program, we called it Safe Spaces, where kids can come in and do their homework and in a safe environment. And then if they have something to talk about, something, an issue at school, this is their time that they can share, um, you know, whatever is bothering them. And, you know, so, and we do advocacy with the schools. We do advocacy with the resettlement agencies. We do advocacy uh, uh, on resettlement issues, on DACA. And, you know, I'm proud, very proud to stand with my Latino brothers and sisters and advocate for, for DACA. I'm very proud to stand with other refugees from other nations, um, you know, advocating for res- removing the, the barriers, removing the ban, the Muslim ban, um, and, and, you know, welcoming refugees from everywhere. Mm. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. So uh, the, the refugees, when, when they come here, uh, they come under, uh, as, as, as under the asylum status, mm-hmm. right? Well, so they come in um, uh, through the State Department, and mm-hmm. so right away they are a- eligible to have a work permit. They're eligible to have all of their paperwork and their Social Security and, and the state ID and all of those types of things. In one year's time, if they don't have any uh, um, you know, felonies or anything like that, they're eligible to apply for a green card. Uh, and then within a year, a year and a half, they, they have their green cards. And in five years, they can apply for citizenship. So it's kind of like a fast track to citizenship for, uh, for uh, refugees. Asylees, on the other hand, um, have, struggle a little bit more because they, once, w- w- they come to the United States on a student visa or a tourist visa or something, and then there's a dangerous situation at home that prevents them from going back. So they can claim asylum 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to go to a, a court and they have to hi- hire an attorney and they have to, and then by the time that happens, by the time they get their work permit, it takes sometimes uh, ni- over 90 days, but they struggle because they are not able to apply for benefits, they're not able to work, and um, by then they, they've maybe spent their savings or whatever, and it, it takes a long time. And then by the time you go, stand in front of a judge and you may be approved, you may be not, in, not approved. And so then you have to reapply again. Um, there are some people who come in through the airport and say, I claim asylum right now, I can't go back. Um, and so you, technically uh, they're not allowed to be sent back because they've claimed asylum and there's danger, and so they have to go through the process and the proceedings and, and stand in front of a judge, and the judge will determine whether they can stay or not. Let me ask this. So do you all, uh, is the, the majority of your uh, clientele uh, uh, refugees, or do you have some asylees also? We do have some asylees. The majority are refugees, but we do have some asylees who now have received their asylum status and now can come into our office and apply for ben- state benefits as, as anyone can, and we'll help them with their case management and applying for their food stamps and whatever services that they need. Okay. I want to give a quick plug. Um, uh, anybody, if you're just tuning in, uh, we are talking with Suzanne Ahra Sahlul. Uh, she is the executive director of the Syrian Community Network. And, uh, well, I, I, I actually, I, I was... I love being educated, so uh, that's one of the wonderful things about uh, about this this job is I get to talk to people and, and find out things. Well, you realize how much you don't know. Uh, so uh, I wasn't aware about that that difference between uh, the asylum, uh, asylees, and refugees. And yes. It seems it's, it's a much rougher road, it seems like, yes. uh, as, as an asylum seeker. Well, yeah, it's uh, coming to the United States might be easier because you get a visa, uh, but the process of finally becoming um, a legal resident is much longer. Uh, versus a refugee, it might take them two years to come to the United States because uh, by the time they apply with the UNHCR, and um, and then the UN may contact them and may not contact them to, to resettle in, in the United States. Only 1% of all refugees of every conflict will be resettled one percent this is yes and there are people who wait uh three years to come to the united states some people wait for 17 years last year i met somebody who's who came from the congo as a refugee he had been waiting in a camp for 17 years to come to the united states so so the process is very long it's um you go through vetting process you know a lot of times we hear in the news what is the vetting process vetting process means you go through the fbi has to question you they go they do a background check they have to know where you live what did you do who were your neighbors you know and all your stories have to match up you know if there's a discrepancy or if you lie on your application or if something then you'll get put put aside um, but um, you know if you can go through your vetting process and um, and then Homeland Security also is involved to make sure that everything is legit and um, and then they will either accept you or not and then once you've been accepted then you go through the cultural orientation you go through a health screening you also have to pass your health screening and then finally make it out here and then once refugees do make it out here you know they get they book their plane airline tickets and they come to the United States the refugees are required to pay back the, the their airline tickets most people didn't know that um, wow. beca- so when so when we as Americans talk about oh the refugees are coming here they're gonna take our benefits they're gonna take our money and they're they're you know sucking our you know resources that's not true they're paying back into the system that brought them here so the system kind of like funds itself mm-hmm. um, you know not everybody pays for the all of you know sometimes there's waivers there's circumstances you know but a lot of the refugees 
most of them will end up paying um, back their airline tickets. And we help set the refugees up to do monthly payments. We'll, we'll contact the company that brought them, the, the organization that brought them, and we help set up uh, monthly fees and um, so that they can process those payments. What I'm stuck on is only 1% of those yes. who are seeking, uh, who have applied um, for that status to be, as yes. refugees are permitted entry yes or selected that to me that's that is um th that's mind-boggling yes that's my so we're, we're talking about 99 percent of those people said we have three million people mm -hmm. that are displaced yes uh and six million that are actually that have uh that, are, that have sought or they, mm -hmm. they've and what's the name of the organization again uh, unhcr united nations high commissioner for refugees okay so they have submitted their paperwork yeah and they're going through the vetting process but only a, a percentage, yeah, one percent, one percent, will make it out. That's right. That should be front and center. I think in any conversation mm -hmm. that we're having here, as as uh, as Americans about refugees. Yes. Uh, now, is that just in Syria, or is that just is that that's, a that's a no, that's, that's across a the norm board. across the board? Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay, that that's me hitting the microphone, uh, Radio Sound family. Don't worry, everything's okay. <laughs> All right, but you know what? This is a great time for us to go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, we will be back, and when we come back, if you'd like to give us a call, do so at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. We'll be back in just a minute. traffic had stopped. Pedestrians were lying on sidewalks and curled up in doorways. There was no sign of violence, no wrecks, nothing like that. It was as if the people in New York had simply decided to stop whatever they were doing and pass out. Ice coated my stomach. The invasion has started. To find out what happens next, read Percy Jackson and the Olympians by Rick Reardon. Explore new worlds and check out more cool books at your local library and visit read.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent, one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories, one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism, one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. 
I'm 38 and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brother's Big Sisters. My Big Sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My Big Sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brother's Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brother's Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome back. This is Radio Islam, and I'm your host, Tariq Al Amin. We are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at WCEV1450.com. Remember, if you are just tuning in, well, you can't remember anything if you're just tuning in, so I'm just telling you. If you're just tuning in, keep up with us by following and liking us on social media Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Radio Islam USA. Feel free to tweet us if you're listening, you've got a comment or question, or if you would just like to give us a call, do so at 312-750-1178. 312-750-1178. All right, Radio Islam family, we are joined in studio tonight by Suzanne Akhra Sahlul. Uh, she is the executive director of the Syrian Community Network, and we, we've been getting educated, having, having a good conversation. Yeah, it's, I think. it's been fun. Yes, yes. So uh, let's, uh, let's let's ask this question. We we talked about just the well, I guess we alluded to the misunderstanding or misperception people have about refugees, mm-hmm. um, when in actuality it is such a small uh, number that actually make it in. Um, but even for those that come in, it's still a huge a huge job. You just you just yeah. rattled off. Uh, ESL programs and, and, and help people get their, their you know, uh, uh, benefits and green cards and all these different things. Um, are these all things that uh, the Syrian Community Network does uh, independently or do you have partners uh, that you work with? Oh, that's a great question. So we work with many partner organizations. So whatever we can't do, uh, we will refer them out to another organization. So, for example, um, we do uh, some of our like um, green card uh, applications. So we're not BIA certified, so we can't technically apply for a green card, but we'll fill out the application. What, what's BIA? Um, um, I can't remember okay, what, the, what it stands it. for now, but no, but it's uh, but it's uh, it's that you have to be certified to in in uh, like a type of immigration. I'll remember that what the acronym stands okay. for. So <laughs> no worries. So no worries. so uh, yeah. so we'll refer out to another organization like the Iraqi Mutual Aid, and okay. they are certified to be able to um, not only fill in the, fill out the organi- the application, but then they can send it out to USCIS, which is the immigration you know the center, and then they review the applications and, and homeland and all these types of things. So you have to have a, like a certain type of certification. So we're working towards that. I have two of my staff who are now taking. They just took the test and and if they pass and and then we have to get our center uh to pass also to be designated as a center where people can come in and apply for immigration and to change their immigration status and then eventually we can do citizenship also um so we're excited about that so um yeah so we'll refer out or we'll refer out to the vietnamese association that we work closely with or we we work with uh the area that we're in uh we're lucky we have many of the um uh 
refugee organizations that are ethnic, you know, that like the Cambodian Association, the Vietnamese Association, the Chinese organization, you know, so we, um, they all came and they all came in as either immigrants or refugees and saw a need and, and organized and founded the, their organizations. And they know exactly what we're going through with it, you know, so they've reached out and been very supportive of us and asking us, you know, you're going to eventually need this, you know that, right? We're like, oh, we didn't know that, you know, so, well, when you, when, when it's that time, call us and, and we'll help you. So, so many of the the services that we are offering we work in you know conjunction with the uh with the fellow organ other organizations like truman college now is helping us with our esl classes icer is another one the illinois coalition for immigrant refugee yeah. rights there isn't enough things i can say about icer it's one of yes. the most wonderful organizations out there supporting us day in day out helping us with our advocacy helping us with you know um with our case management program and you know just wonderful organization Another organization I want to give a shout out to is Oxfam. Um, yeah. So I know they've been going through a difficult time right now with all the things that were happening. But Oxfam does a lot of good work and they um, helped us. Uh, we're launching our new website. Right now we have our website, the SyrianCommunityNetwork.org. Right. Uh, but in a few days, uh, we're going to be announcing the launching of our new website, new and improved. And this was a grant, a small grant that Oxfam gave us to um, uh, rebuild a, a, a nice, new, shiny, uh, brand new a cutting edge uh, website yeah. and to um, have a kind of like a social media kind of campaigns around advocacy and re refugee resettlement. So we're really grateful for them. So we can't do the work without our community, without our partner organizations and without the help of Allah. Right. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Uh, and and I, that was actually going to be one of my questions. Just mm -hmm. what is the relationship like among those providing these services? Uh, and it's it's great to hear that there's a there's a mutual aid yes. uh, that, that, that I see. Yeah, and then that's what our, our organizations are termed as mutual aid associations, by the oh, way. Really? Just, yeah. So Chinese mutual aid, Iraqi mutual aid, um, all, uh, Cambodian association. So they're all like, they, they're termed as mutual aid. Mutual aid means that they work in tandem with the resettlement agencies to provide the cultural and linguistic piece to the refugee services. So the resettlement will uh, first, those first three months will provide the housing and you know some of the, the furniture and everything. They do a great job, but then we come up after the three months and we pick up the pieces of the refugee, um, you know, uh, helping them with their adjustment and connecting them to the community. It's very good that, you know, one of the things that we've been successful at is connecting the Syrian refugees to the larger uh, Arab and Muslim community in, in Chicagoland area. They, you know, they know all the mosques, they know where to go, what to do, you know, and, and people have been very welcoming uh, because we saw we see with many of the other the previous groups that came before um, they didn't have a, a supportive community that came in and welcomed them and helped introduce them and so we did a lot of events we did Thanksgiving events we did you know Eid events and Ramadan events and things like that that to help connect bridge the gaps of community with the refugees uh, otherwise they would stay by themselves and isolated and not be not feel like they're Chicagoans or part of the, the community you just mentioned a Thanksgiving event, and I'm thinking that I attended one about two years ago. Um, it was at a church up, was it up north, I think? Probably in Evanston, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I sat with some amazing yeah. uh, children. Uh, yes. They had lost their father. Yeah. Uh, they were twins. Yeah. I think twin, twin girls. And yes. They were talking about their experience. Uh, uh, in, in school, their new school, yeah. um, and uh, so so that leads me to uh, another question: How are the how are those who have um, how how are these communities um, how how are the refugees mm -hmm. right 
and, and there's something sig- stigmatizing. Yeah. About, about the word. It, yeah, yeah. The word refugee, yeah. right? But how how were how are they um, acclimating? So our new friends, uh, so you know, just because like we want to call, call them yes. our new friends, it's sometimes like it's it's hard sometimes to keep switching, you know, and yeah. you know, but we want to also always refer to them our new friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to adjust, you know. Uh, imagine yourself coming into a foreign country, you don't know the culture, you don't know, you know, the language. Um, you know, I came to the United States at the age of ten, and I at least uh, I was born in Syria. At least I had the privilege of knowing learning English as a young child because my mother's Canadian, right. and so that was easier for me and for my sisters but it was as a complete culture shock you you know the the learning style is different in school the the culture is different the people are different even the Syrians who were here were different than what we were used to and it was just very difficult to you know adjust and the hardest was in school you know fitting in in school uh, especially in the 1980s you know you didn't see people with hijab you didn't see people you know it was very weird and but now at least hijab is a little bit you know it's more visible and there's uh, there's acceptance and there's people you know hijab day and this that day and and so people are more active and more aware um, but it was very difficult and so you can imagine people leaving uh, a a situation of war and maybe they have injury maybe they lost their father or their uncle or their mother or they have an injury themselves and uh, having to come to a new country and now all of a sudden the the father or the mother sometimes is the breadwinner and they have to work these you know low um, you know minimum wage jobs at, at factories standing all day and like and then they have to deal with like you know paying rent they don't know how to pay rent and you know in syria and middle in the middle east you know there's like a post office kind of thing but like there isn't like a postal system you know where we know you know you know the the way you get directions is like you know go to that building over there you know on your right and walk 10 meters ahead and you'll find the place to your left you know like that's how you give directions in syria (laughs) you know that's how we when we grow up so there isn't like the system there isn't like uh online banking there isn't you know so all of a sudden now you have to do online banking you have to pay your bills you have to you know being on time in syria the 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 water um you know uh, you know they knock on your door and oh you have to pay your water bill and then you pay them at the door and then they walk away yeah so it's it's and it, it only comes every few months so now you have bills coming in, you have mail coming in all the time, junk mail, you know, you, they don't know what, what is that, you know, and so it's kind of scary. So, you know, we help them with, with, with those adjustment services, you know, and then finding them, helping them find where to go, where to shop, where to go, you know, what to do, um, connecting them to people, you know, it's very lonely, it can be very isolating, overwhelming, um, and then they're worried about their family. I mean, look at what's happening now in Ghouta, you know, it's this constant worry, it's an ongoing crisis where I'm, myself, I'm traumatized by seeing pictures and and imagine, you know, they will probably have flashbacks and of things maybe that they went through. You know, we have a few, we have a family here, um, you know, uh, her name is Huda. She's a single mom. And her husband died in the gas attack in August of 2013. Mm-hmm. And her oldest son, too. So, you know, now she's a single mother. So, I mean, I'm sure all of this that's happening maybe re-traumatizes them. And, and they have to, like, adjust with that. And, and you know, and, and in addition to paying bills, it's, it's hard. So that, that brings up another consideration. Um, we know the the physical safety mm-hmm. uh, is one thing, and being uh, resettled and, and getting acclimated into a, a new environment, uh, with all the things you just mentioned, as far as yeah. you know, just bills and you know all those yeah. things. But the emotional health, yeah, um, emotional well-being, are those? Uh, is that also a service that you all are providing? Or do you have a, a, a partner organization? Well, we partner with other organizations that have, you know, many of the resettlement agencies have mental health as yeah. part of their services. So what if they're in, 
if they start seeking services with them, uh, they will we usually don't you know keep them with with the, those providers because sure. it'll be hard to switch them. And you know, um, obviously this is something that we want to build out and you know in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we grow, you know, we'll take it one step at a time. You sure. know, Rome wasn't built in a day, and we'll we'll build our organization brick by brick. Yeah. Um, and inshallah, with time, with the support of the community, we will be offering those services. Uh, but um, for us, you know, it's just you know talking to them, calling them, you know, when this is happening, they feel that there's a friendly voice, and I ask them, how's your family? How's How are people doing? They feel so grateful that there's somebody reaching out to them and asking them how they are, because usually, otherwise no one would ask them how they're feeling and how they're how they're doing mm-hmm. um you know we wish they would reach out to us you know um my, one of my colleagues one of our board members was trying to reach out to them over the weekend to have some but they didn't, weren't responsive i think sometimes they feel like they don't want to talk about it also um so that could be one 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 reason but it's it's hard you know it's because it's an ongoing crisis all the time and you're seeing those images yeah now i mean well, the fortunate thing is that for, for children in particular, uh, mm-hmm. children are extremely resilient. Uh, but even saying that, there are still, there are still issues that if we're not able to, to work them out or identify them as they're going through them, then they may present um, hurdles in the future. Oh, definitely. Uh, but um, for, from, from what you've seen, how are the children, if I can ask in, in, a, in a general sense, how have they um, acclimated? We're seeing a lot of the kids, like as you mentioned, very resilient. They're doing well, very well in school. Uh, we've had a few instances here and there where, where we've had to intervene in school because um, a child was being bullied um, or somebody was picking on them for no you know reason. Um, and so we've done that advocacy within the school, you know, where we reach out to the teacher. The the teacher is not responsive. Then we reach out, try to reach out to the counselor. Um, then going above the counselor to the principal, you know, trying as much as we can to to you know, help in supporting the, the, the students. Usually the schools are very responsive and they want to help because I think everybody's so sympathetic. The the word Syrian refugees, like right now, like the you know, people are like they're seeing the news and they want to help and so that right away there's this good response from a lot of the teachers. Um, and so that's one good thing, I, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but um, we saw, we, we're seeing that a lot of the students are doing very well in school. Their parents have high ambition, high motivation, even though their parents may not be educated themselves a lot of the the majority i would say of the people who are here have either seventh or eighth grade graduation levels or eighth or maybe ninth grade or like maybe high school we have a few doctors you know a couple of engineers we have a teacher we have you know here and there like an artist um someone who's a musician but the majority of them are people who worked in syria either like uh low skilled or had like a uh, a skill like you know um gosh you know like those skills that are passed down from father to son like oh, artisans. you know artisans yeah. and you know things like that you mm-hmm. know um so it's very difficult to translate that that skill here in the united states right. uh but um but you know we we're seeing that the children doing very well and and, and becoming higher achievers uh, we did start a, an initiative called the sweet syrian um, this is an entrepreneurship project that we we launched uh, some of the, the the refugees we have are very very talented at cooking and so right now we're only doing sweets and we had an event back in march to launch this idea uh, of supporting a, a community kitchen we want to rent a community kitchen and having food handlers uh, training the the women to be food handlers and so that they can 
create this beautiful, you know, cookies and yummy, delicious, you know, baklava or hummus or tabbouleh. Once we get insurance and then we can do the, the sky is the limit really if, of whatever we want to do. But right now we're only focusing on the sweets just to build it out little by little. Um, and so that's one initiative that one people way people can help can donate to start this entrepreneurship project because all that money will go to the refugees pocket. It does not go to Syrian community network. So we have, we've catered to the art Institute, like about a month ago oh, cool. and they ordered sweets from us and that money goes directly to the refugees so we're helping provide employment to women who may not be able to go out outside of their homes because they're very traditional there we have some people who are very traditional it's very hard for them to go work in a factory some women can do it and can adapt but some are not able to do that right. so that's a way to do that to um, s- support them and in, in this initiative and this idea well that's awesome i have a um i have a, a serious sweet tooth yeah uh so let me know when the next uh <laughs> we will yeah when the next one is so yeah i'll definitely uh get out and get in on some of that well we do have an event that's huh. yeah yeah okay we yeah. do have an event Every, we, we oh, just, oh yeah that's good yeah, yeah. so okay so, so i'll invite both, you all yeah. and invite all the listeners to an event on may 7th yeah so we have partnered up the syrian community network with uh the goodman theater oh, great and the uh angel project which is based in new york um and um, uh, the founder of the angel project uh she's a friend of mine her name is irene and she wrote a play based on interviews by syrian refugees on syrian refugees so the play is composed of her interviews um, and it depicts a family at the start of 2011 and what happens to this family over time some people end up being in Zatari some end up going to Germany some end up dying some end up you know and some come to the United States so it's how this family is able to you know move on with their life and you know recuperate and um, and so the play is beautiful I, att- I, I watched it in August it played for one month in New York City mm-hmm. and it had great reviews and so so the Goodman Theater um, uh, partnered with us uh, to bring this uh, reading of this, you know, beautiful, beautiful uh, play called Lost and Guided. And why it's called Lost and Guided is because in Surah Al-Duha, mm-hmm. um, we, you were lost and we guided you. That's right. Uh, and so she took this phrase, this ayah, the beautiful ayah, and she used it in her. And, and then the whole play revolves around being lost and then being guided. So I hope everybody will um, come out. Uh, uh, to our event on May 7th at the Goodman Theater. It's a Monday night. I know it's a Monday night, but, you know, it's whatever. It's it's good. It's a good cause. It's It'll support our organization, and it will really share a story of people, their vulnerabilities, and how to, you know, um, deal with what's happening in Syria. And then also we'll have some of the sweet Syrian, uh, uh, you know, for hors d'oeuvres and things like that. So it, it should be a fun event. Well, if, if our buddy uh, Ramsey is listening over at the Goodman, uh, we're, we'll be looking for an email announcement on that uh yeah so uh, those are our friends over there so we're definitely looking forward to that and uh so we'll put that on our calendar um may 7th now let me ask this because um what you mentioned when i I thought about the whole idea of mutual aid what Mm -hmm. this brought me to is i i've probably had uh, i've been in a few different fields Mm -hmm. so i spent a year as a firefighter Yes. Oh, and, interesting. Um, yeah, so we have something called mutual aid. Um, uh, it's, it's Mavis, mutual mm-hmm. aid something. I can't remember what it is. But basically what it is is when you, um, you, you go to a fire, if it's a box or whatever it is, you know, a three alarm, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and you only have a certain amount of uh, apparatus, equipment or whatever, or whatever, then your surrounding 
uh, organization, the surrounding municipalities, wow. they'll come out. Nice. And it's and it's already set up. Oh, right? nice. So I immediately thought about that when you, yeah. you talked about how, you know, somebody does ESL, somebody has the uh, BIA certs mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but even within this, this mutual aid, um, I'm really curious about the, uh, is there a overall sense of, of hope that exists among, among uh, you all who are providing these services? Um, what, what is it? Yeah, I'll just start right there. I've not, I got a follow-up question, but I don't want to yeah. throw too many out one time. Um, yes, I, I'm very hopeful. Um, people who uh, go into nonprofit work, um, you know, number one, it doesn't pay a lot. <laughs> right. So, you know, you don't going, you're not going into it uh, for money. You're going into it because of uh, something that you that moves you inside and, and pushes you forward to take this initiative and take on a, a cause. And so I'm very hopeful. So um, I, I can't do my work uh, without hope and without feeling a sense of optimism and enthusiasm. Every day I go to work, I go into my office and I see my staff, my staff, I have the best staff. Um, Maya, Tasi, Salam, if you're listening, Al, Amr, Rama, just the most amazing staff, very motivated. You know, we don't pay a lot, we pay peanuts. I mean, like, you know, because we're, you know, we're just building, you know, we're right. building the organization. But the, the level of motivation that I see from them is just so inspiring and it, it makes me feel like, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, how did I, how did I end up, how did I become so lucky? You know, yeah. like I thank God, you know, alhamdulillah, you know, how did I end up in this, in this field? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one thing, you know, so I am very hopeful. I am very um, optimistic about the future of when I see these kids who are so doing so well in school and getting the best grades. And I, I think this is the best thing that, you know, that has happened in my life. Is, is there ever a point where you feel um, the weight of uh, the experiences that, that you come across uh, on a daily basis? Yes, um, I feel sometimes like I'm carrying around uh, a mountain on my shoulders uh, because number one, um, uh, we have 180 families, so I care deeply about them and I care about their success. So I feel their success is my success. If they fail, I fail. Um, I, I worry all the time that somebody's gonna be evicted, somebody's gonna ha something's gonna happen to somebody. Um, and then they're always coming in asking for emergency help, for support, for rental support. Um, you know, we've paid over $350,000 of the community's money for rental support. Uh, we had a rental program that we were assisting in the beginning 50% uh, of their rent uh, because we knew we wanted to give them a breather right. when they first resettled. Then we, we, when we had an increase in numbers of families, we couldn't maintain that, so we dropped it to 25% for six months. 25% for six months. This is what you get, the support that we get. But they're always coming in for extra help please you know i'm this i have that you know i can't make it my my job i can't pay the the twelve hundred dollars in rent i need extra support so anything that the community will donate if you go to our website and donate and if you designate it this is for zakah money or for rental money this will go directly to the emergency fund that the refugees need to survive because we don't want anybody evicted being evicted here in chicago means we failed as a community uh, if you have somebody who's homeless so we this is so this is a burden i carry on my shoulders that i worry all the time that some something's going to happen to a family and they're going to become homeless so we don't want anybody to that that means our community failed them, and so we we can't let that happen. And so, 
donate and help because that will relieve the, this mountain that's on right. my shoulders. Um, you know, take 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 the burden off. Also, I always worry about you know I'm trying to apply for grants. I'm trying to do this. You know, these are things that we we, we as a community are not really used to. Mm-hmm. And so um, restructuring the organization so that it's um, functional and and uh, having evaluations and monitoring and yeah. uh, outcomes and input and and the impact of our work. You know, we have to think that way strategically. Think that in that regard. So re reprogramming myself to think this way it was was very hard and it's still very hard and this is sometimes a you know a, a difficult task to undertake but inshallah with the support of the communities with the support of allah with the guidance of many of the partner organizations that we work with uh inshallah we'll get there uh, you know rome wasn't built in one day and we're gonna be building and expanding and growing and um and with allah's help i i believe that it will happen i'm very hopeful so, inshallah. inshallah all right i cannot help but ask this last question even though i'm looking at the clock and we've got about three minutes. Um, are most of um, most of those that you are providing services for, are they looking at this as a temporary uh, situation or are they looking, or do they have hopes of, of returning home? I think every immigrant who comes to the United States, whether they're a refugee or just a successful doctor or an engineer or a PhD, you know, they always think about dream of going back home. And my father has mentioned this. My uncles have talked about this. And every immigrant that I know talks about the good old days and we wish we could go home. And um, and I think many of the people who came to the community in the 70s and 80s were saying, we're going to come here, do our residency or do the PhD program and go back home. But then they ended up staying here and building the community. So I think every Everyone longs for that, mm-hmm. uh, but the reality is that <laughs> most people won't go back. And I, the refugees have the same sentiment. And I tell them, well, you have to think strategically. What are you going back to? You have to. Is there an infrastructure that can support you, support your children? Your children are better off being re- uh, educated here in the United States, going to college, where they can become the doctors and the engineers and the and the pharmacists and the teachers that the 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 U.S. needs. We are the we are who we're looking for. Um, you know, the, we, we will sweep ourselves off our feet as long as we continue to, to grow and to educate our children. Okay. Um, would you go ahead and tell the Radio Sound family where they can find uh, Syrian Community Network, how they can uh, support any social media um, info? So you can uh, go on our website, SyrianCommunityNetwork.org. Um, like I said, we're, don't look at, don't judge us by this ugly website. But we're launching a new website in a couple of days. Uh, but it's the same address. You can find us on Facebook, Syrian Community Network, on Twitter at, at uh, SCN, uh, no SC underscore Network, and at Instagram uh, at Syrian Community Network. Um, you can donate on Facebook. You can donate on our um, on our website. Uh, your donations will go directly to the refugee families. They will not. They don't. They will not go directly to um, unless you designate that as for staff or for programs or whatever. But if you designate it for the refugee families, they will go directly to the refugee families. Um, we can't do this without you. The refugees who succeed means that the secu- the community has succeeded and all of us can succeed uh, for a better Chicago. Okay. Suzanne, we thank you so much for coming by. Uh, talking to us. Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll get you back again because we get, we didn't get to talk about your international endeavors. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's a long story. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be a fun story. Yes. All right, Radio Slam family, we have come to the end of another edition of Radio Slam. We want to thank uh, you for tuning in. We want to thank our engineer over at WCV, Ramon. Thank you very much, sir, for making sure we come through loud and clear. We thank our engineer in studio and producer for this um, edition of Radio Slam, the impressive one, Ibrahim Beg. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, our executive 
executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as representative of Sound Vision Inc. And with that, we hope you have a great evening and we're going to leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.